What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn. And this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs and love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm so excited today to welcome my new friend, uh, Blake Johnson. How are you doing, Blake? I'm feeling great. I'm happy to be here with you as well, my new friend. This is going to be great. I'm super excited. Yay. So uh, Blake is a mental health advocate, podcaster, and very, very creative. He's like man of many talents. He hosts and produces Diary of a Mad Black Man, a podcast about his life and mental health journey. He's also the founder of the Black Podcast Club, an international social club for podcasters, creatives, and wealth generators. We're going to create some magic here today, Blake. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and thank you for the introduction. You did that. And we feel like, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of special. That, that was dope. I appreciate that. <laughs> I like that. Thank you so much. I know. It's, it's strange hearing about yourself, isn't it? It is like I was just saying, I was like, wow, I, I sound like a really important person. I do a lot of great stuff. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. You are a really important person and you do a lot of great stuff. And we're going to talk about a lot of the things that you're doing. Um, and I know being creative is super important to you. And that's the first question that I wanted to ask you. Like, why is creativity important in somebody's life and in your life in particular? You know, um, I think so for anybody else, I think that creativity is important for their lives because it's an outlet. And for me, that's one of the reasons why I've embraced my creativity in the way that I have, because in the beginning of being a podcaster, I didn't really see myself as a creative. I saw myself as a podcaster. And it was through this journey of podcasting that I realized that I've always been a creative. I've always liked to make things to take an idea or a vision that I have and see mm -hmm. it come to fruition in the real world, whether that was like an event that I would hold in college, you know, with back in the day, or whether that's now a podcast episode, something I want to talk about, or it was even the idea to create the Black Podcast Club, a company that literally just started in my head. Now it's a real life thing in the world. And it's also allowed me the ability to release, you know, being a mental health advocate and speaking about my journey, my challenges and my triumphs um, in a creative way has also allowed me to understand myself better. It's allowed me to heal from a lot of trauma, from a lot of mental anguish that either I inflicted on myself or the world society and other people inflicted on me. And so this journey of healing has really been a journey that's been, that I've been on for a long time, mm -hmm. but it really went to a new level when it was infused with my creativity. And so now I use my creativity and as a way to, heal and to exist and be in the world is part of who I am. So I more or less embraced this aspect of who I am as a creative and it's opened many doors. It's 
brought me to meet you, you know, amazing people <laughs> like yourself. So, I oh, mean, thanks. why not? I love, I just love being a creative. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. How were you creative as a little kid? Four-year-old, five-year-old kid, seven-year-old kid. How were you creative? Oh, wow. Um, that's a really good question. I don't think I've ever been asked anything like this. Um, so I remember like as a kid, like I was that I was that kid that was always just doing something extra. A lot of times something that I probably shouldn't have been doing. But I such, remember such as give me an example. Uh, teasing people. I was kind of a bully in a lot of ways, to be honest. Um, but I was always super creative. Like I would like I remember like making mud pies as a kid, like literally making like being outside with mud, like patting together like it's a pie and then leave it in the sun to dry uh, or you know like me and my sister I, I grew up I have a sister she's three years younger than me we would we would build clubhouses while our mom was at work and we were just home so we would literally under the dining room table we would literally like build like forts and clubhouses with little cubbies and stuff in it um I've always liked to draw Huh. But that kind of phased away once I hit my teenage years. But I remember um, as a kid, I loved to draw and color and create. And I also remember art being one of my favorite classes in school. I loved ceramics. Well, ceramics in college, but like playing with clay and Play-Doh as a kid. Um, I remember the first time we made like a like an actual vase with clay um, and it was put into the what are those things called the big incinerator things that they use? Um, I the exact term. Of yeah. It. Like a kennel, I think. I can't think yeah. of the exact term, but I've always been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like looking back over my life now as an adult and embracing my creativity, I realized that I was always a creative kid. I was always doing something creative, but I never really called it creativity or I never really said that this is me being a creative. This is something I could look yeah, yeah. back and reflect on. So, yeah. 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 I, did, I you have, did you have the, did you have the Play-Doh thing that you stuck the Play-Doh in there and you squeezed the thing and it came out in different shapes? Dude, I had the whole kit down to press it, to make the little like, um, look like cookie cutter things to make yeah, shapes yeah. with the whole yeah. nine. Yeah. Definitely had one of those. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. I used to do that and they would come out in like long squirrely things. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. then you could, then you could make like different shapes. Like I, I think of, um, you know, those like, um, uh, Christmas videos mm -hmm. that are, that are basically like Play-Doh, <laughs> they're yeah. Play-Doh figures yeah. Yeah. <laughs> walking around. <laughs> so, Absolutely. so, so this is the, th this is the thing, like just playing and, and being in your imagination and not, uh, and being really present, which I think a lot of times in our lives, we lose that. We lose that sense of wonder and, uh, curiosity. Yeah. It's like the, because within this idea of wonder and curiosity comes the unknown. Mm -hmm. you know something I've learned as an adult is I don't necessarily like the unknown I like to know what I'm doing like for example starting out if you'd asked me 10 years ago even a year and a half ago if you'd asked me in January of 2020 like hey you're going to be a business owner and have your own company in the next six months I'd be like mm, no I'm not no <laughs> 
because I always thought that I would have a job, a career, be a teacher. Like I was very clear in what it is I wanted to do. But a lot of the challenges that I faced in life, um, specifically like with my mental health is when I started to do these things that I had spent years, hundreds of thousands of dollars to, you know, in college to do. Once I'm doing it, it's like, this is not what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. This is not what I wanted to do. And so it's been an interesting journey dealing with that as well. Um, but tapping into my creative side was, I mean, it's been a year and a, a little over a year and a half now. And it's like, this is something that I don't feel that way about. Like, I feel like this is definitely where I'm supposed to be. This is definitely what I'm doing. There's nothing about being a creative, being a podcaster that I don't like yet. Mm-hmm. There's some things that I'd rather not do, but there's nothing that like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not doing this. I don't want to do this at all. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Okay. So here, here is my um, hypothesis. I'll say okay. that, that I believe that a lot of depression is due to unexpressed creativity. So what do you mean by unexpressed creativity? That's an interesting perspective. I feel like a lot of times people are not following their own sense of um, inspiration, uh, Um. which is creative uh, expression. And I think that that cause, you know, because people go in the world like you were talking about and having the traditional you know, traditional job, traditional career, this path that that maybe society has taught us that's the only accepted way. Yeah. Right. You know, like our parents and our grandparents probably had the same job or worked with the same company for years and years and actually had a retirement and Mm -hmm. things, you know, the sense of security and control, quote unquote, control. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's really limit. It's limited our ability to be fully expressed because we're assuming other other um, people's uh, roles or you know roles that other people expect expect us to step into, as opposed mm-hmm. to what really speaks to our heart and soul. That's that's now that is deep, and I think and I agree with that. Um, it makes me think about you know when I. So I used to be a teacher mm-hmm. and I was in Tell education. me again, what did you teach and how, how old were the kids? Uh, so, so I was in the, I was in education for nine years. Um, uh-huh. and I was in classroom for three of those years. Um, I taught elementary, um, the actual grades I taught was third, fourth and fifth grade. Um, mm-hmm. I taught fourth grade mathematics for a little bit and I taught fifth grade science and social studies. Mm-hmm. And I reached a point in my teaching career where and, and I'm speaking aside from my own personal mental health challenges that I was having at the time and being a, a teacher like that's if we want to get into that, we can. But when it came to what I was doing as a teacher, when it came to educating the young human beings that I was responsible for, mm-hmm. how I was being told. Essentially controlled and how I facilitated learning in my room began to conflict or or created conflict with my own personal morals and values. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was, what, like what, for instance? Um, so I'll give you an example here. Really good one. That one that I, I had a student um, when I was teaching third grade who was reading at like a beginning first grade level. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So at the third grade, the expectation when it comes to reading is comprehension. You know, there's there's five love, there's five domains of reading and there's stages that children go through from K through two. But at the third grade level, again, in the county, in the district, in the school that I was working at at the time, they required that students be reading fluently Mm -hmm. by the third grade. And it's also known that if children are not reading proficiently by the third grade they're going to struggle for the majority or the rest of their k-12 career right right so i have a student who's reading at a first grade level my in my in my idea not only as a teacher but as an educator and somebody who loves and protects all children it's like i'm wasting this child's time by giving them a passage that's four or five pages long then expecting them to write a summary and answer the questions and all these complex things that come with reading comprehension knowing this child is not at that level it's documented right Right. i was literally told by a minute by my administrator it's not your responsibility to teach them how to read to teach the student how to read it's your, it's your responsibility to teach them third grade standards because when they take the Georgia Milestones assessment, they're going to be assessed on the third grade standards. The principal then went on to say that it is the EIP's teacher to do the catch up uh-huh. for their reading deficit. And so I'm sitting there in this meeting. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying. But if I hand this child third grade level work knowing that they cannot do it yeah you're basically you're basically telling the kid that he's stupid i'm setting the child up for for, for failure and then when it's time for the whole class to be working and this child's off task and they're disturbing Uh others this is why they're a behavior problem because they can't even engage with the work and then on top of that when i work with this child one-on-one it's not that they don't want to learn it's not that they want to misbehave it's just the fact that they literally cannot do the work that i'm giving to them and so when i was told that i couldn't make modifications for this child that was the first red flag that let me know that this isn't for me because this is not productive that's crazy. Listen, I got stories for days. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, when, days. when you're talking, I thought I, I just thought what happened to no kid left behind? Hello. What, what happened to meeting the child where they are? Exactly. You, you mean, know, so- I, I mean, this is this is the issue with traditional education system I think I mean my mom was an educator she taught high school for many many years and uh, you know this is the thing people don't learn in the same fashion you know Mm -hmm. everybody has a different learning style everybody has a different um, you know perspective and ability to um, assimilate the information that they get and so how can I mean is it like teach to the lowest common denominator or teach to this this sort of middle ground or teach to the highest ground and hope that the kids on that i mean that seems crazy that 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 see what you just described is what they would call differentiating instruction right so technically you're supposed to teach to the different levels of your students right so you're supposed Um, to facilitate your learning to where it meets the needs of 
the lower students, the middle students, and the higher students. Yet this by is making also, modifications. By making modif- exactly. <laughs> but this is the thing. This we're also at a point in the school year where we're preparing for Georgia milestones assessment, standardized yeah. testing. I'm right. so against standardized testing. It's not even yeah. funny I because these bogus. tests mean mean nothing. They mean nothing. This is just a way for these companies to make money. And yeah, I can go very deep into that kind of stuff. But my thing was, I knew that I could create ways to help this child learn. Mm -hmm. And the ways that I was wanting to create and facilitate learning for this child were receiving a lot of pushback. And so I eventually quit teaching because, um, of situations like this mm-hmm. and the own my mental anguish that I was dealing with from depression to alcoholism to seeing kids go through trauma mm. to seeing kids at a third grade level reading on a first grade level and seeing a child just like myself who wanted to be good who wanted to learn I not to this day and all my years in education and working with many, many children, hundreds of thousands of children at this point, probably, I have never met a child who said, I don't want to learn. Yeah. Never met a child who said, I don't want to help mm-hmm. or create mm-hmm. in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. It's when you try to make them do something that they're not able to do. And then we try to force them to do it that they receive pushback. I mean, even as adults, like if people try to tell us what to do, like we're like, don't oh, tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Adults are the first people to tell you, like, um, I don't know how to do that. So I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, yet, we, and yet we punish kids for doing the same thing. So now you see why I'm not a teacher anymore in, in the short sense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my my daughter, uh, she's been doing online school for two years, you know, long before the pandemic pandemic (laughs) started. Uh, And she said, you know, our education system is is not suited for many, many people. And so if there's a if there was a way, you know, I think that some of these new schools around are coming up with more creative ways to engage kids because kids, many kids go to school and they're open, but they're not, uh, you know, I'm not interested in everything that I'm learning about. I don't care about chemistry. I mean, I actually loved chemistry, but, you know, there were some there were some classes like history. I'm not a big history. It's all about war and destruction and death. And that's not my gig. Yeah. Uh, You know, and so some things it's like I to have a basic knowledge, maybe a basic working knowledge, but then let kids let kids um, engage in and and be more curious and dig deeper into the things that light them up and the things that they're interested in so that they can feel a sense of accomplishment and mastery and wow this is really cool i want to learn more as opposed to this is so stupid i have no desire and no interest and so i'm just yeah and then then let's be honest here how many times how many classes can we think of that we've sat through that we don't use at all as adults yeah well yeah and this is the i mean this is the thing that (laughs) i just said this yesterday in one of the things where i was uh you know my kids say you know i i I took this english class and learned shakespeare or you know whichever 
author I was from the 1800s that I was reading and I don't care it it's not meaningful to me it doesn't like enhance my life in any way and I'm not going to use it why don't they teach psychology in every school to talk about mental health and the struggles that we have as human beings why don't we teach people how to have good relationships because many of us don't have good examples of it in our own homes come on now why don't we teach about financial literacy credit banking taxes budgets yeah so so yes life life skills that we all need that we all need and yet we're not really taught because yep. I'm, I mean, many of us don't have good examples. Yeah. So I did. True. I happen to have good examples and yet I still struggle. Exactly. We're all, I, I have a feeling that like in my opinion, I think everybody's going to struggle at something at some point in their life. Um, and it's really about your mindset and how you respond to that struggle. You know, a lot of my earlier struggles in my life, um, even, you know, to the teaching experiences that I'm, I'm speaking of, I didn't necessarily respond to them in the best way mm-hmm. because, A, I was not in the best place mentally. Um, we're talking about health wise. I wasn't as aware of what I was doing. I was fresh out of college and still really grieving the loss of my grandmother. And so I was in a position that, I was able to do, but I wasn't necessarily prepared for. And at the same time, I don't think I don't think you're ever really truly prepared to be a teacher. I don't think that you can really prepare somebody for what they're gonna deal with as a teacher, but it's like life as a whole really was weighing on me at that time. And so it influenced my decisions and my behaviors and how I was engaging because I just wasn't aware. I just didn't know. And this is also part of life. I've believed that life is about growth and being able to reflect and learn from where you've been to understand where you are to better understand where you're going. Mm -hmm. And so is, is after your grandmother died, was that when you um, struggled a lot with depression? Yeah, that's uh, well, to be quite honest, um, I struggled with anxiety a lot before she passed. Um, now at this stage, due, due to due to stress, due to not having proper self care routines, due to not eating properly, due to drinking, consuming a lot of alcohol. Um, and because I it was, because it was fun or because it was a way to escape your reality uh, both you know i mean in college like i mean very much was a traditional college student on the weekends you know binge mm-hmm. drinking blackout drunk all that good stuff mm-hmm. uh well i won't call it good bad stuff, stuff. <laughs> bad stuff right because <laughs> what it did was it was fun in college right but those habits didn't change when I transitioned into the real world, when I became a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so on Friday nights, when I didn't necessarily want to go out and party because I'm tired and exhausted from my week, I'm still at home drinking because it's been my habit to habit. drink, to relax and escape. 
And so if this is what I do or what the, if this is what I was doing at the time to relax and deal with life in general, when life began to be much more stressful, um, obviously my drinking followed suit because I'm more stressed out. So I'm going to drink more because this is all I know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when my grandmother passed, I was, I definitely could say I was like a functioning alcoholic at the time. Um, even prior to her passing, like it was the amount of alcohol I was consuming was a lot on a regular basis. Right. But mm-hmm. it didn't affect my life. It wasn't like I was, you know, drunk and passed out somewhere. Like I would get drunk and get up and go to work and still be productive. So I didn't see it as an issue. Functioning, Right. right? I was functioning yet it eventually began to influence how I was functioning in the world. And it took like, I mean, I started drinking at maybe 14, um, really started heavily drinking on a regular basis around 18 um, and did that up until about 27, 28 years old. So for a good solid nine, 10 years of my life, alcohol was heavily consumed you know i was always drinking a lot and i think it at certain points it exacerbated my mental illness that i was dealing with as far as depression um after my grandmother passed i i definitely started drinking to escape more um to numb the pain to not deal and i was still able to function like i was able to six months after my grandmother passed away i moved to atlanta from illinois to start teaching. And during my first two years of teaching, I was also earning my teaching certification. I was still drinking during that time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see a problem with it until it started to affect my health. Mm-hmm. Until I wanted to not be drunk all the time, until alcohol started, like I would be able to, like in college, I could drink and binge drink all night and wake up the next day and feel fine. <laughs> If I have more than one glass of wine nowadays, <laughs> forget it. It's over. Like I'm, I'm done. So it was things like that that towards the the latter end of my twenties that I realized that I need to make changes. And once I began to try to implement those changes, is really when the mental anguish came because alcohol withdrawals are very real. Mm-hmm. You know, I started to experience those kind of things. And a lot of the stuff that I dealt with personally in healing from being an alcoholic and grieving the loss of my grandmother, I dealt with very privately. And because I dealt with them in such a private way and I didn't want people to know and I was ashamed and I would even hide. Yeah, Yeah, I would would hide because I was shamed. And, you know, like it's been like, my grandma actually passed on my birthday. So February 20th most oh. recently was my birthday. So it's been five Sorry. years. Wow. And so, yeah, thank you for that. And that must be hard. It's, it's super hard, but you know, something, the, the beauty in healing and therapy is that now I'm able to, to speak about her, about her death, about what I've been through. And it doesn't affect me. Like there was, like back when I was still teaching here in Atlanta, I couldn't even think about my grandmother without feeling extremely emotionally triggered. Mm-hmm. You know, there were moments when I would be at my job teaching and, you know, or a student would come with their grandparents, you know, and I can remember several times just seeing 
it, it would be something as, as, as simple as just seeing a grandparent love on their love on their grandchild or a grandparent show up to the, you know, parent teacher conference or they come and see mm-hmm. their kid at a performance and just seeing the love between like, I would a lot of times be fighting tears. Yeah. You know, I'm facilitating a parent teacher conference and listening to a grandparent talk about how they're taking care of their grandchild would be mm-hmm. so emotionally overwhelming that I would yeah. almost be in tears, you know? And there are some times yeah. where I've had parent teacher conferences where we end up crying because I'm like, I'm dealing with that too. And I just, you know, so Aww, yeah. when I realized that there was something just not right. And that's not to say like there is a right way to be, but there were things about my emotional well-being and my mental stability that I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. And because these things were impacting impacting my daily life. So it, it, it's, been, it's been one hell of a journey <laughs> just dealing with everything I've dealt with in my life. But like I was saying, super grateful and appreciative for each and every experience that I've had each and every piece and ounce of adversity I've been through because without it, I wouldn't be who you're talking to right now. Yeah. Yeah. It was through the trials and tribulations that I found peace. I've learned major life lessons. I now at 31 years old, am able to look back over my twenties and even the earlier part of my life in my childhood and say, okay, this is why I respond like this. Mm -hmm. This is why I think like this. Mm -hmm. And so now being a 31 year old man, I now have a much greater understanding of self and I'm probably the healthiest I've ever been in my adult life when it comes to mental. Mm-hmm. I, I feel really confident saying that. Something that's just that I feel confident saying just in the past two, three months, because 2020 was one hell of a year for all of us. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I feel like I just kind of went on a little tangent there, but no, that's o- that's okay. I I actually want you to dive in a little deeper uh, because I because you have uh, overcome so much, mm. you know, so that I want, <clears throat> I want to share with the listeners uh, because I feel like it's, it helps people recognize that they're not alone in their struggle. Mm. Okay. So I want you to talk about that, but before, before you do, I just want to ask you, what did you love about your grandmother? Everything, everything about that woman was just, I love some of the, I guess you could say some of the characteristics that I really appreciate and admire about who she was is she was, I don't know how to say, she was like overly loving. Like Mm -hmm. she would do it to the point to where I would be like, like, I've never forget this conversation I had with her. I was like, mommy, why do you always tell me you love me? Like you tell me that all the time. I had to be like maybe like 10 or 11 years old at the time. And she was like, she's looked at me. She said, because I don't ever want there to be a doubt in your mind, even mm. when I'm not here that I did. Oop. She, yeah, she basically said that I never want there to be a doubt in your mind that I didn't love you, even when I'm not yeah. here. So I tell you over and over and over again, because I want you to know that. And it's never going to change. I'm going to always love you. And that's why I tell you all the time. 
Um, she always she's still with she's still with you. Oh, absolutely. I've definitely tapped into um, more of a spiritual realm of life lately through therapy and yoga and meditation. And something else I appreciate about my grandmother that I admire so much is she introduced me to God and spirituality. She, I remember when she shashed, my very first Bible was gifted to me by her. And I'll never forget her saying, you know, I love, you know how much I love you, but God loves you more than I ever can. Mm. So trust and always believe in him, keep him first in your life. And, you know, really always talk to me about God. And she was a very spiritual person as well, would pray all the time and regularly going to church or watching church or being engaged. And um, that's something else that I love and I appreciate about her. And I guess that's something else that I, <laughs> that I really miss about my grandmother is her cooking. I, I to this day, I don't think I'll ever have a sweet potato pie better than one made by my grandmother. Okay, let me tell you something. That woman did she leave? Did she leave you her recipe? Unfortunately, she did not. <laughs> she was very oh, no! she was super secretive, like when it came to her recipes and how she made like there. So there were some things about her that she was like, no, this is like I did this, I created this. So um <laughs> but but I'm I'm also okay with that because it's like these are priceless memories. Yeah. That I have. Like I love sweet potato pie. But almost every time I eat one, I'm like, ain't not like my grandma's. So, (laughs) yeah. She was a beautiful woman. Just a great overall spirit. Real classy. Very much a lady. Okay? Let me tell you. She was a lady. Like, makeup, hair, nails. Even, I mean, when she passed, she was 66. And she was still beating her face, getting dressed just to go to the grocery store. So, she was always very classy lady. Sweet. You have a lot of her in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Her, um, you know, I, I realized how much she did influence me. Um, cause I didn't, I didn't grow up with my father. Uh, my father was actually murdered when I was about one years old. And so I never oh, knew him awful. met his side of the family. Um, and so really it was my mom and my grandmother were like the two pillars who raised me. Um, mm-hmm. If you think about it in a traditional sense of a mom and a dad, my grandmother was more of the was more of my mother, mother and my figure. mom was more of a father figure. And the only reason why I say this is because my grandmother was much more emotional. She was much more nurturing. And that's not mm-hmm. to say that my mom wasn't emotional nurturing but she was very stern like go to school do this you know that very masculine Structure, structured masculine, like do yeah. do do and your grandma's like feel 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 mm-hmm. yeah my grandmother definitely came with the feminine energy vibes my uh-huh. mom came with the masculine energy vibes but you uh-huh. know the duality of having <laughs> both of these um, women raise me and the lessons that I've learned from them is priceless and, and I love it and I appreciate it at this point you know I don't have any like I'm I'm good on my childhood put it to you like that like how I was raised you know everything that happened you know a lot of people are still like oh this happened to me as a kid like I'm good on that like because I understand how you know as black women in America what it was like to be raising a black boy ultimately a black man in this country Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. super grateful to my mom and my grandmother for what they've done for me and yeah now but now it's time for me to for me to raise me more, like for me to evolve the way that I want to evolve. Cause now, like I said, it's 31 at 31 years old. It's like life is not slowing down. <laughs> In no. fact, it feels mm-hmm. like it's speeding up. <laughs> so it's like, okay, it's time to really start to do the work on self. And that's really what I've been focused on since, 
since really since becoming a full-time creative and understanding what that means. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about um, your your particular struggles with anxiety and depression and what what were the things that like what was your wake up call Mm. you know where you said i gotta do something about this so i want you to to share a little bit of your story about the struggles Mm. and then what propelled you forward Mm. yeah you know Wow, I don't think I've ever shared this story in the way that I'm about to give it to you, but um, I'm definitely going to give it to you. So the first time I had a panic attack, I was 19 years old. Mm. I was working in an after school program and I was actually out of town for training. Right. And that whole week after training, I had maybe two or three more panic attacks. And it was the physical aspects of the panic attack that I felt, which was the, you know, fast heart rate, the heavy breathing, the uncontrollable, like I can't calm myself down, thoughts racing, like what's going on, feeling like I'm having a heart attack. Yeah, like not able to calm yourself down. So I was like, what Uh the hell is going on here? You know, this is the first time me having them. And because I had them back to back, I eventually went to a doctor and at 19 years old, my doctor said, well, it sounds to me like you had a couple anxiety attacks. You might be struggling with an anxiety disorder, which is a mental illness, and a mental health condition, X, Y, Z, da, da, da. I'm like, mental, mentally ill? Who? Like, not me. Like, I'm in college. Like, I'm, I'm on this organization. I'm doing this, this, this. Like, nah, I ain't got no anxiety. Like, and I even remember them giving me some anti-anxiety pills that I could take, you know, if I was ever having a panic attack. And I was like, I ain't taking that shit. Like, that's just out of my mind. So I was like, I don't, there's nothing wrong with me, right? Yeah, yeah. Then the very first true wake-up call came maybe three to four years after that. I was a senior in college at the time and I was in a very bad car accident. Mm -hmm. And reflecting on that time, I believe that I had a panic attack while I was driving. Um, I don't really remember the accident. I, I kind of blacked out. Blacked out. Um, yeah, of course. But I remember like how I was behaving afterwards. And I was actually confined to a mental um, institution. Like when I was hospitalized after the car accident, I, was, I wasn't necessarily physically injured, but I was put into the mental health unit. It's been mm-hmm. like four or five days there. Mm-hmm. And... It was in those four or five days that I really began to like realize, like, cause I was on a 72 hour hold. So it was like, you're not getting out of here for three days, no matter what. And it was in those three days that I realized like, do I have something wrong with me? Am I dealing with a mental illness? What is this that's going on? Like, you know, so that was my first real wake up call that there was something going on with my mental health. It's the first time I really was like, you might truly have an issue. They diagnosed me with bipolar and schizophrenia at that time. And I was like, schizophrenia? What? Like, it, again, this is the stigma that I had. This is just my mindset. I'm like, there's no way. Like, I don't, no, 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 no. But what I did begin to do is I started to go to therapy after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to really research mental health, 
mental illness, the difference between the two, bipolar, type one, type two, schizophrenia. It's also when I really did a lot more research on anxiety, depression, and it was something that I've all that I always kind of did after that point. And eventually I accepted the idea that I might be bipolar. Which means sometimes you feel really down and sometimes you feel really up. Mm -hmm. Primarily because of the mania that I was experiencing, the manic episodes of extremely high racing thoughts. That's where the anxiety comes in and things like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I self-medicated for many years. Um, I eventually went on to grad school and it was in grad school that I had another meltdown and this was the time that I was mistreated as a mental health patient. Um, Long story short, I was going to Florida International University in Florida, in Miami, Florida, and Florida has a law called the Baker Act law that basically says any police officer, firefighter, any like civil service worker, basically anybody could be can can state that this person, it doesn't seem safe for themselves. They can call the police and the police can Baker act you, which basically means that you're going to be confined to a mental institution for 72 hours. Uh Like, and there's no if, ands, buts or questions about it. Right. So being that I was dealing with anxiety at the time, definitely depressed. um, But I was not in a state to where I needed to be confined to a mental institution. When I was, I spent six days in there. I was mistreated. I was forced to take medications. It's also Mm -hmm. in, it was in a community not too far from my university. And those of you who know about Miami, Florida, the number one language spoken in Miami is Spanish. So 80% of this city, the whole city of South Florida or the whole South Florida region speaks Spanish. So I'm in a hospital and I felt like I was in a foreign country. Nobody spoke English. My nurses were getting wow. these medications, don't speak English. So it was this extremely traumatic experience. Like the cops came, they arrested me just through being there. I don't even want to go into in depth into that. But it was after that moment that I realized this is the second time this has happened. Even though this was some bullshit, the way it went down. Mm-hmm. Let's be a little more that it was at that moment that I realized, okay, now we may really be dealing with something like seriously. Like we may, you know, because I knew how I was feeling. I knew what anxiety was. I felt like I was bipolar. You know what I'm saying? That was the diagnosis that I believed for myself. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I went home for some time. Um, that's how I ended up back in Illinois, living with my grandmother after graduate school. Um, so within that year that I graduated after this is so this is in 2015 in April. Um, I ended up graduating in July of that year. And it was during this time that I was living with my grandmother. Didn't really have a job, didn't really get things lined up because of how I left graduate school. Cause immediately after I got out of the psych ward, I was out of there. I got dropped out that semester. I was like, I'm not doing this no more. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation about how I was feeling about my university. But after my grandmother passed. I knew that the depression was real because leading up to her actually passing, she spent four months in the hospital from November until February, November of 2015 to February of 2016. Mm -hmm. 
This was the first time that I really had like serious thoughts of suicide. This is the first time that I felt so depressed that I literally like, like if it, and to be quite honest, there are some days that I wouldn't even get up to go to the bathroom. Like if there was a really? cup or a bottle or something, yeah, it was bad. Like wow. while she was in the hospital, I was not in the best state of mind, like at all. And after she passed and I moved to Atlanta and I was struggling with, like I was saying earlier, alcoholism still, I was grieving. Right. But I was also wanting to change to be better because I knew the way I was living wasn't healthy. How am I going to be this esteemed teacher by day? The whole school loves me. My kids love me. I'm a leader in this community. But at night, I'm a drunken hot mess. Mm. So once I began to say, okay, we need to start taking our health more seriously. That's really where this journey started with. Yeah. And so I tried to start drinking, stop drinking so much. And then I eventually started going to therapy again through my job, through the EAP program. And that's where I realized that I may not be bipolar. I never, I never believed that I was schizophrenic. Yeah. But I truly knew that I was depressed. Like, if you look at the DSM, like the definition for depression, it was like, check, 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 check. check, check yeah. Along with depression comes anxiety. Right. Check, 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 check. Then I also started to learn about misdiagnosis, how often they happen. Then I started to learn about cultural often. differences. Often. Very, very, very often, right? Because I've, I've gone to doctors that have said, I don't think you have anything. I've gone to doctors, like I said before, we said you're bipolar and schizophrenic. Right. I've gone to other doctors who said I may have major depressive disorder, may have bipolar type one, type two, like all these different things. So it was just like, at the end of the day, I want to be healthy. Mm -hmm. I want to be happy. And I want to be at peace within myself. Yeah. And that's what starting going to therapy. It started that journey. Starting that journey for mental health and wellness, holistic health and wellness. I'm talking about mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially. I just want to be healthy. I just want to be happy. Relationally, Completely. sexually. Relationally, everything. sexually, all that good spiritually. stuff. Spiritually. Did you say spiritually? I should have. If not spiritually, <laughs> say it again. <laughs> right. Um, I also began to eliminate things that were not, not healthy. Healthy and in alignment with that. One of those things was alcohol. Mm -hmm. Another one of those things was my career. It was mm -hmm. so stressful. Mm -hmm. Because like I was saying earlier, I was in an environment that I wanted to serve, wanted to help kids. But I couldn't in the way that I wanted to. And I remember, I can't remember, it was, I think it was on Clubhouse not too long ago. I was talking to somebody, they said... You know, teachers, educators and teachers need to realize that our jobs is not to save the kids. It's not what you're there for. You're there to teach, to teach state standards. That's it. And she followed up with, if you really want to save children the way that if that's your heart's passion, you probably need to be a social worker. Mm. And it wasn't until and then again, this is after this is maybe a couple months ago. I was like, that makes sense. 
because I came in with the savior men- mentality. Like I want to save right. the kids, going to help them because I understand, understood, understand and understood how important reading those fundamental reading skills, how important they are to not just your academic success, but to your life. Life. You have to read everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, yeah. look, we're in the age of social media, right? What does social media require? A bunch of reading. A reading. And unfortunately, because people don't read, that's the reason why certain things happen in social media the way that they do. But that's a whole other conversation. We might schedule them and do another episode about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sure know. we could do many episodes about yeah, many yeah, things. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And it's just like, you know, it was, I'm, I'm going to take you back to October of 2018. This is the month before I resigned from my teaching job. I felt very alone. I felt like I had nobody I could trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though that wasn't necessarily true, that's how I felt and that's how I was Mm -hmm. moving. I was also very ashamed, um, but I wanted to do something about it. I felt shame, but I didn't want to feel shame no more. I was depressed, but I didn't want to be depressed no more. I was suicidal, but I didn't want to kill myself. You know, and I said, I have to find a way to control these thoughts because these thoughts are influencing my behavior, which in turn is influencing everything in my life. I have to get control over this. And so, like I said, even even to have that awareness, because most people are just lost in the shuffle and the chaos the, the, or the, yeah, yeah the chaos sense. right yeah and so yeah i started to eliminate things started to do away with relationships that weren't serving me that weren't healthy and they weren't healthy um eventually led to the relationship with my career like this is toxic like the straw that broke the camel's back with my career it was nothing to do with the kids because that's why I fought so hard. That's the reason why I went to therapy. That's the reason why I wanted to stop drinking because I wanted to become a better teacher, a leader, and an asset to the community that I was in at the time. Mm-hmm. But when my administrator said, quote, the death of your grandmother is not a good enough excuse to miss all this work. Mm. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the stamp and the close of the coffin on my teaching career. Because I knew at that point then, you do not care about me as a human being at all. Mm -hmm. The same way this system and you as a part of the system don't care about these children and their well-being. You're more concerned about your job and making sure these state standardized test scores come back that make you look good. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want no more parts. Mm-hmm. And eventually led to me just quitting. Like, nope, I'm not doing this no more. But when I made the decision to quit, I had to come into Jesus moment. And it was like, I realized that God was still working in my life. I realized that he had brought me through so much more than struggles on a on a job, even though it was a very serious, loving job, I loved it, miss it sometimes. But it was like, where's my safety and security come from? Is it from this job and these paychecks I get every month? Mm-hmm. Or is it from the faith that I have in God and the universe and how I've been mm-hmm. protected my entire life? Mm-hmm. 
and I'm, and I'm Did, even even through your struggles, even even through the the various near death experiences I've had up to that point in my life, right from my own suicidal ideation to just situations I've been in. I said, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't have anything else lined up, but God universe, the most high, I'm putting my 100% trust and faith in you. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to figure out what is going on with me mentally. Why do I feel so depressed? Why am I constantly having thoughts of suicide? That was that month of October. I was probably the most suicidal I've ever been in my entire life, partially because I think it was the medications I was on. It was also just where I was in life in general. It was approaching the holiday season. This is like year three. My grandmother's no longer here. So it was just a lot. And I was just like, you know what? My health and wellness and my sanity's priority over any and everything. Mm-hmm. And so from since November of 2018, when I quit my teaching job, it's been one hell of a roller coaster ride. One adventure that I love and appreciate. One adventure that has not been easy at all. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) of course not. But it's been amazing when I sit now on the other side of where I once was mentally. It's so refreshing now to be able to share with people like yourself, your audience, anybody listening about where I've been and what I've gone through because I truly want people to know and understand that you can overcome what you're currently dealing with. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I continue to speak and why I'm becoming much more honest and transparent is, is because I truly believe that when I share the story of my struggles, it's like a survival guide that I'm giving to people. Yeah. You know, this is inspirational and motivational to you that I hope, but it's also like, if I can survive this, you can too. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the posts and stuff that I used to do online, because um, I do a lot of like in my uh, mental health advocacy, I post a lot online about mental wellness, well-being. It's like, I hope somebody sees what I'm doing and decides not to give up the mm-hmm. same way I saw other people doing the work and made me not give up. So once I, again, quit my teaching job, I started to do things like I got into podcasting. I actually found a podcast called Let's Talk Bruh. It's a podcast on black masculinity. Um, Shout out to Jeremy. I don't know if you'll ever hear this, but maybe you will one day. Um, The podcast changed my life. To hear other black men talk about issues that I was, that I've often dealt with in secrecy. Mm -hmm. To hear them so openly and honestly talk about issues that affect our community us as black men then it was another it it just it just changed my entire perspective on everything because i then too understood that i wasn't alone exactly exactly and that my struggles were not just unique to me like i'm not the only person who's dealt with anxiety or depression i'm not the only teacher that's dealt with what i dealt with teaching i'm not the only person who's had suicidal thoughts before yeah and a lot of times that didn't necessarily help because i was like yo i don't want i still don't want to deal with this like i don't want to be over here like feeling like this but what it has 
also brought around me is community. Mm-hmm. It's brought a tribe of people around me that support, that care, that are there for me when I need to. Like now I cannot, there's no way I could have any kind of issue in life and I don't have somebody I could pick up and call. Mm. Pick up the phone and call. That's beautiful. I don't think I'll ever be so depressed and alone to where I feel like I don't have people I can call and speak to. And because I've been so vocal and transparent and honest about what I'm dealing with, now I have a tribe of people that know this is what I've been through. I have therapy, licensed clinical therapists that say, listen, if you ever just need somebody, here's my personal cell phone number. I have several. Mm-hmm. You know, I have people that, that just that get it. You know, I've had other black men reach out to me and say, thank you for what you're doing. You've inspired me to go back to therapy. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why, like I said, like from the Let's Talk Bro podcast. Go, go to therapy, period. Exactly. Like not making it something shameful. Right. And so that's why I started a podcast because it was Let's Talk Bro, the podcast on black masculinity that inspired me to really unpack and understand who I am as a man. And then there's another podcast too called The Roommates Podcast with Chris and Hafiz. And they were talking about their own issues, their own challenges with anxiety and depression. So it was the combination of no longer being a teacher, listening to these podcasts. I was driving for Lyft at the time. So I would drive around and listen to podcasts with something I discovered. And it was like, because I felt very lost like in that from right. November to like December I was just like a blur it was like what the hell is going on but it was in those two weeks like I said I discovered these podcasts and I just decided that hey this is gonna get real ugly I'm not sure how this is gonna work out but we gonna figure this thing out because we're gonna overcome this because I'm hearing I'm listening to other black men who have gone through things similar to me, who grew up, um, who were raised by single mothers, who didn't know their fathers, who, you know, so I just began to network and meet all these other people who had similar experiences. And that just further continued to build me up, continue to go to therapy. Shout out to all my therapists and my most current therapist, because she is amazing. <laughs> like I love therapy. So and, and now that I sit here on the other side of 2020 as well, and everything I've learned about podcasting and being a creative from this past year, it's like this is where I'm supposed to be. I was supposed to go through everything. Like at at this point, my story isn't my story after I share it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to the world, it's to you, it's to the individuals, it's to the audience members, to whoever listens and I come in contact with. And I, I try to be that person that's like, if you're around me, I'm either building you up, I'm sharing and exchanging some knowledge with you, or I'm yes. uplifting you in some kind of way. That's the energy that I embody. That's the energy that I embrace. And that's the energy I work to maintain each and every single day. And now I have a much healthier self-care routine. Like, when we, if I get too stressed out, I'm not going to go drink some liquor and smoke some weed. I'm going to go exercise and eat some good mm-hmm. food. I mean, mm-hmm. I, still, I still might smoke some weed. I'm not going to lie. I do still smoke because it helps <laughs> me to, to manage my mental health. But it's not going to be my first go-to. Like, I'm not dependent on any substance for my mental clarity like if if i wanted to sure i could be you know a hundred percent like not using any kind of substance or chemicals or anything to 
to influence how I behave. But I also believe that medication is necessary for some people. And this is my medication of choice. And so now that I have that understanding, I may go, like I said, work out, eat, meditate, draw, write, journal, podcast. I'm getting into graphic designs, go create some graphic designs. So these are all other creating. things. Creating. Exactly. <laughs> so I just really just tapped into it. And now like when I feel a bit of anxiety, it's like, oh, maybe we need to go run. Do we not feel like running? Okay, let's go journal instead. You know, so there's so many other things that I'll I say skills and resources that I've acquired over the year to just manage my mental health um, and my overall health and wellness. And I'm in a much, much, much better place. And I would not have reached this point in life of mental stability and health and wellness without sharing and telling my story. So that's why I continue to do what I do. And it's beautiful. I love it. Which is why I wanted you to tell your story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How do you see yourself now? I see myself as a forever growing and changing person. When I define myself, there's certain things about me that I think will always be like, I'm always going to be a black man, always going to be um, a lover of all humanity. I'm always going to be kind and courteous to everyone. But how I go about doing that may be different depending on where I am in life. Mm -hmm. How I see myself now is forever evolving and changing. And I'm okay with that. Mm. Like Blake right now, what's what's this month? February 2021 may not be the same Blake in in December of 2021. The core values at the core of who I am, like I'm going to be the same. Like I'm really goofy. Like I love to laugh, love to have fun. (laughs) You know, know, I, I do still drink every now and then like i said a couple glasses of wine is about you know that's kind of guy i am now so i still you know like to have fun and do things but yeah i'm much healthier much happier much more at peace much more equipped to handle the rigors of daily life yeah yeah you have an amazing story blake i mean you've overcome so much and to me your energy is very peaceful Thank like you. you just have this beautiful heart and soul. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's why we connected. That's why I resonated with you. That's why I wanted to have you on my podcast. So thank you for your presence. I appreciate that. You're part of my tribe. And that's one of the things I love about, about Clubhouse is like when you connect with somebody and it's yeah. like that instant, like you almost can't even describe it. Yeah. But it's just like hello where have you been all my life you know yeah so definitely um so appreciative to be here to um to everybody listening like i'm so thankful that you listened and i oftentimes am and taken back when i'm on platforms like this or people do share space like this to hear my story and they tell me like how much it inspires them it's like wow like i'm really doing the work out here you know this is like i said i'm I love helping other people, love sharing, love talking. And so the fact that now I'm using my life and my experiences to help people in a different way, to inspire, to motivate, to encourage people. I love it. So thank you. I appreciate you for sharing this space with me too. Yeah. Okay. So the last question that I ask my uh, guests is how do you define real love? 
Because this podcast is wake up to real love. So how do you define real love? The definition of real love, I think it's defined by how you love yourself. Mm. First. Real love is that genuine is that genuine care, compassion, and action behind nurturing self. That's real love. When you really love yourself, you're really going to nurture yourself. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to make sure you eat, sleep, exercise, you know, everything that your body needs to be well. And then when it comes to another person, what you do for yourself then influences them. Once yourself is full, you love you, you're okay with self, then the love that you have is now in abundance and you can share with other people. So that's what I think real love is. Yay! <laughs> which which segues right into my podcast mantra, which is mm. the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. Mm. Mm. See, see how the universe works? Yeah. <laughs> it, it is true. It, it, it's true. It's like now at this stage of life, it's like I love me so much yeah. and I care for me so much. It's like there's certain things that previously I might have accepted or even tolerated in a relationship whether it's platonic or intimate or not but it's like now because of how much i love myself yeah. there's certain things i'm just not going to accept right like i'm not going to accept working at a job that is extremely stressful that's not conducive to my health and well-being so if this job is going to be this stressful i need to find another place of employment mm-hmm. you know and that's just how I, how i feel about a lot of things that I do in life. It's if it's like if it if I feel too much resistance from it, it's where the light bulb goes off. Maybe you shouldn't it's not for me. Morning. It's not for right. you. Exactly. Yeah. When it's ease and peace and expansive and flow and creative and you know, your ability to just be who you are, mm-hmm. that's for you. All those yep. things are for you. Exactly. They're your guideposts that lead you to your true north. Yep. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you and learn more about you and the work that you're doing, Blake? Yeah. Um, so, of course, I'm in the social media world. Um, my podcast is called Diary of a Mad Black Man. Um, on all social platforms, it's Diary of a MBM. Um, I think it was Instagram wouldn't let me type out Mad Black Man. It was just too long. So it's really? Diary. Yeah. I was like, you know, why can't I type out Mad Black Man? But, <laughs> but there might have been some updates to uh, Instagram that I might be able to change it later because I've seen some longer names now but this has been over a year and a half but yeah diary of a mad black man diary of mbm um i'm more active on instagram twitter facebook eh, not so much but um but when it comes to clubhouse i'm super active on clubhouse the same thing on clubhouse diary of mbm um you can also contact my company's page um the black podcast club.com we also are the black podcast club on all social platforms as well instagram twitter facebook we have a couple facebook groups that um are extensions of our club um that are designed to help people learn and grow as podcasters so if you want to connect with me in that tip i'm the black podcast club um yeah I'm out here in these podcast streets. I'm not hiding. So type in Diary of a Mad Black Man anywhere. And I'm um, pretty sure you'll find me. Yeah, great. 
yeah, I mean, because when when we first talked, you said something about me being on your podcast. I was like, I'm not a mad black man, though. <laughs> yeah, well, see, see, that's the thing. That, see, a lot of people um, <laughs> get the title to my show a little misconstrued. It's a super catchy title, though, right? I think I did really yeah. good with that yeah. one. Yeah. But it's like my platform is designed for healing. You know, I talk about my life. My As is mine. Dream, you know what I'm saying? And there have been many people who have different perspectives. And, you know, the reason why I'm going to have you on, on the podcast is because you've been a relationship therapist, you know, and you have a wealth of knowledge and experiences that I'm sure can resonate with people who may listen yeah. to my podcast. And yeah. so when we're talking about overall health and wellness, there's really no one set way you know, I feel like, you know, as men, I think that there are certain things that should be strategically designed from us, but there are lots of things that we can learn from women too, and from people of different cultural backgrounds and experiences. Right. So um, right. I'm looking forward to having you on because it's going to be a, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so all the listeners, I'm sure you've gained so much wisdom because this is what we do. We share uh, you know, to inspire and to bring people hope. So please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, uh, leave reviews. And if you, uh, you know, have friends or family that would benefit from this conversation, please share because, you know, here's my mission to share more love out into the world. Um, and then you can find me, The Awakening uh, with Dawn, on either Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse. Uh, and every day, wake up to more and more real love. So love thank you so much, Blake, for being here with me. It's been an honor, and I look forward to many more conversations with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you all for listening as well. All right, everybody, take care. Wake up to more real love. See you next mm -hmm. time. Bye. Bye. Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast leave five-star reviews, and of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.